Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Hopefully you didn't eat too much on Thanksgiving Day. I can't make that statement. But at least at least you had a good time, right? <laughs> Welcome back to the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com, free on iTunes and on the Talk 1073 mobile app. Thank you so much for hitting that subscribe button for those of you who have, if you are an Apple user. For those of you who have not, you got to do that. Last week's show was a very good one. We spoke with outgoing Lieutenant Governor Jay Darden about his time in that office and why he endorsed the governor-elect John Bell Edwards. Today, our guest is Stephen Wagasback who is the president of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry. It is an organization that talks with businesses in our state and represents them on a number of issues in government. And he's going to give you a perspective on what they do and what he does on a day-to-day basis. The year is coming to an end. And as we go into this new year, hopefully many of you are ready for it. If you're not already planning for 2016. In fact, if you've not already planned for the new year, you are way behind the curve on that. So if you've not gotten started, go on and get her done. Get ready for 2016. It is almost here. Next year is going to be some kind of a year for Louisiana. You've got all of the budget issues that are on docket, on deck. You've got issues with higher ed. And with the public school system as a whole, that's that are going to be debated and discussed in the regular session and possibly even a special session. And Baton Rouge, the capital city of Louisiana, you've got all of the citywide and parishwide elections that are going to be going on. So there's a lot to do as it relates to Louisiana. And I hope you guys are paying attention. On that note, next up, we're going to talk, as I said, with Stephen Wagusback. Wags as he is affectionately known, about what's happening with the business climate in Louisiana. Now, here's a guy who I think is bright, he's energetic, and I do believe he cares about Louisiana. I think he cares about the business climate in our state, and I think that he wants Louisiana to be okay, and you will hear him talk about that in his own words. And that is coming up on the other side of this quick break here on the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 1073 mobile app. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with Stephen Wagusback, the president of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, You know, Wags, people hear about lobby, but I don't think most people know what the hell it is or what it does or, you know, what the purpose of it is, because not every person 
is tied to a business large enough or one involved enough to be a part of what Lobby is doing. So let's first start with that. What is Lobby? Well, you know, first of all, before I get into that, I want to say thanks for having me on. I you got it, I appreciate bud. you being here. It's always good hanging out with you. So you got I appreciate it. the opportunity uh, to do it with a microphone. That's right. That. So um, listen, so Lobby, it's our 40th year anniversary. We're the Louisiana Association. Of 40 years. 40 years, man. 40 years strong. So wow. I'm the third president there. Yeah. Um, the others were there a long time. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm two years in. But basically, so we're essentially the State Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. and the State Manufacturing Association. What that means is we've got about 2,300 members around the state. Those are businesses, employers. About 70%, what I call small to midsize, which mm-hmm. is under 50 employees. So we're thought of as, as the big corporate the reality is most of our members are the small mom and pops around Louisiana and some of our homegrown Louisiana companies. And, you know, we started out in, our, in the mid-70s kind mm-hmm. of as a, as a business versus labor environment. And it, was right. the, it was the fight to go get right-to-work laws here in the state. Uh, well, that passed in the first year, so after that you got to find new things to do. So right. what we do every year is we try to find the wolf closest to the door. We say, what is stopping business from growing, investing, and expanding? And we go try to help them with it. And sometimes that's tax policy. Sometimes that's, you know, workforce. Sometimes it's the federal, you know, regulations getting in their way. And so we try to help them, help employers do their job. We're not trying to tilt the market. We're not trying to put our thumb on the scale. Right. We're trying to keep free enterprise alive and well here in Louisiana and try to, in large part, keep government out of people's way so they can go out and do their job. And, you know, it's kind of a 24-7 approach. So on a, you're being the president on a day-to-day basis, what do you do? Well, I'm talking to my, my members a lot. You know, mm-hmm. we've got members around the state. I'm, sure. all, I'm in my car as much as I'm in my office. <laughs> That's right. You know, tomorrow I'm driving to Shreveport. I'm going up and meeting with some of our members. Can you crack the code of Shreveport and Bozier for me, please? Oh, my goodness. Now, that now I mean, I, I can't do that. I can't, okay. I can't describe <laughs> We the, don't have enough time to yeah, do that. I can't right? describe the Coke formula, and I can't do that. I mean, there's certain <laughs> things I don't know. But um, I am going to Shreveport, not yeah, Bozier. There's yeah. a distinction. That's, there is a I, I, big I distinction. That. I said that. So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll be going up to that tomorrow, giving yeah. a speech, talking to some of our members. I do that a lot. And mm-hmm. it helps me because I have a really good feel for what are the needs of employers around the state. Sometimes that's the big boys. Sometimes that's the small boys. So sure. I do a lot of traveling, talking to members. Obviously, we talk to legislators and government officials a lot, you know, and so we're doing that. We're expand, explaining our policies, hearing their thoughts, trying to, you know, bridge the gap there a little bit. Right. And then also what we, we do is we, we do a lot of like, uh, you know, research and policy to try to explain some of the needs of employers and talk to the media and public about why that's important. I write a weekly column, talk about these things, right. we put out research projects and all that type of stuff. So when you if someone from someplace else, one of the other 50 is considering moving their business here to Louisiana. And they're asking about the business climate in the state. What would you tell them? You know, the reality is, and this is kind of a cop-out answer, but I guess I'm going to give it to you. And we're kind of a tale of two states right now. And okay. it depends on where you're at. If you're in southwest Louisiana, Louisiana's a boom state right, right. now. You know, we've got all these new announcements. They're blowing and going. They're sure. expanding, all that stuff. So in that area of the state, things are going very well. Mm-hmm. If I'm in the Bayou area, if I'm in Morgan City, if I'm in Lafayette, it's struggling. We're hurting. You know, oil, low oil prices are hurting right now, and so it's a tough time. If you're in North Louisiana, you know, kind of what I hear up there is like, look, we hear about this industrial boom. We're not seeing it. No. Our guys and gals are going south for these jobs. They're not staying up here. So yeah. it depends on where you're at, quite frankly. And so it's a little bit of a cop out. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of potential with the state. And I do think that the impact of the national recession and the oil you know, yeah. prices is really putting a damper on it. If you had reasonable oil prices right now and you had a national economy that was just somewhat humming, mm-hmm. I think you'd see all this expansion in the southern part of the state bleed up to the northern part of the state, and I think you'd see a, a pretty good storyline right now. But it's just it's hit or miss depending on the region of the state. It's so interesting because this past year, 
both on the political front and on the business front. I've done a little business in the Shreveport, Bossier area. We joined the Bossier Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. this year. I'm actually the title sponsor of an event there in January. And it is funny to hear people there talk about the business climate versus here and talking with Adam about what's happening here and the the drive to try to keep LSU graduates, Southern, Southeastern, whoever graduates in Louisiana. Do we have a workforce that you would say right now is as good as it needs to be? And if it isn't, what do we need to do differently? Unfortunately, I would have to say we don't. Okay. And, and let me tell you, when I, when I go around the state and talk to our employers, one thing that I've noticed, and this was surprising to me, it really doesn't matter what type or size of company you're talking to. Okay. They, they mentioned workforce. Okay. And so everyone initially says, oh, well, that means we've got to have more welding programs and training programs and all that stuff. But when you really dig down deep, here's what they tell me. They say, give me someone who can read, write, hmm. pass a drug test, and has good soft skills, show up for work, work with coworkers, deal with customers, things like that. It's a problem you, right you now. You give me those four things, I'll train them myself. Yeah. And that's, that doesn't matter if they're looking for someone to sit in an office or to yeah. work on an assembly line. Right. They tell me those four things. And so it's disappointing. It's a kind of a you know, an indictment on our society and government or whatever you want to call it. But that's the big issue with our workforce right now. So people say, well, why does lobby a group like that get involved in K-12 education? Right. That seems kind of wonky for you. That's not a business issue. Well, I come back to him and say, actually, there's, a business there's issue. no bigger business issue out there. Absolutely. My guys are telling me, you give me a kid that can read, write, stay off drugs and have good manners. That's pretty much what the K-12 that, system does. In a state with four and a half million people, their city's larger their city's two, three times larger than the entire state of Louisiana. The Houston metropolitan area Absolutely. is larger than Louisiana. And if you've, ever, if you've been to Houston within the last you know, few years, you see what's happening there. And I want that here, but mindsets have to change. And I don't know how close we are to that. So you sit with CEOs, small business, medium-sized business, major companies, and they're talking with you about the workforce, do they feel optimistic about where we're headed or no? Well, it depends on what you're looking for right now. Right now optimistic in terms of what you just talked about, yep. reading, writing, showing up on time, being polite. We've got, well, we've got some of the best industrial contractors in the world here, okay. and they go around the country building things. And so on the construction boom we're in right now, Yes, we've got a good workforce supply. It's working well. They've, 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 they've figured the gaps. Nothing's perfect, but that's great. All right. Um, when you look at some of the um, diversification our economy we're trying to do, we've, you know, we've brought in IBM and some of those other areas. They're having a very difficult time of finding those STEM-related jobs. And so we don't have enough K-12 kids going mm-hmm. into STEM-related degrees. We don't have enough higher ed you know, kids going into those. It's starting to turn yeah, the needle, yeah. but that's a big But we're right just there. pushing it now. It's just beginning. So we, we, the IBM thing has been, what, two, three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about it. They've come in, and we're in the initial stages of it. But we are just now, in the last two to three years, addressing the education apparatus that exists in Louisiana. So how can we accommodate the IBMs of the world, the Facebooks, the Apples, the whoever of the world who want, the, who want to come here when our education force is not yet where we need it to be? Well, I, I think there's two things. One, I, I think we have to recognize there's, no, there's not many quick fixes here. And so we can't just expect to turn a switch on and it's going to sure. happen there. I mean, it's, it's, it's incentivizing math and science at a higher level in right. K-12. It's incentivizing higher ed schools to invest in those programs mm-hmm. as compared to, quite frankly, cheaper and easier to deliver programs. So there's a whole 30 minutes we can go on that. 
The other piece is there are some short-term Band-Aids, I guess you can say. You know, what the, are they? The Fast Start program that's currently going on right now in Louisiana. If, if, you, have, if you haven't met Jeff Lynn, that's the dude you got to talk to. He's one of the most impactful people in the state government right now. He runs a program called Fast Start, and what we do is when we're bringing in those big companies here that have these gaps and they can't wait for 20 years right. for the system to work, he puts together a tailor-made workforce program. He used to run a program called Quick Start in Georgia, we went and stole him and the program, brought it right. here, and now it's one of the best in the South. It's right. well-renowned. It's awesome. So that is a gap there. You know, the WISE Fund is something that we developed at Higher Ed. It incentivizes companies to go invest in Higher Ed and get a tailor-made program for them. Mm -hmm. perfect example is the LSU School of Engineering. Rick Kubek, who just became the provost at LSU, he's awesome. And so if you have engineering needs in Louisiana, you use the WISE Fund, you go partner with LSU School of Engineering, yeah. you put some private capital up, you get sure. a tailor-made program. So things like that are band-aiding some of the need we have. But if we're really going to fix the problem, we've got to get more kids going in math and science in mm -hmm. K-12. We've got to up the, the caliber of the programming at the K-12 level in math and science. And then at the, at the higher ed institutions, we've got to incentivize those schools to focus on those programs as compared to these more generic catch-all programs. Let's talk about this, talking about education, because there, there's more about business that I'd like to get into with you. And we're, we're going to because, you know, I have a, a fairly eclectic listening audience from what I hear. I've got elected officials who listen, business people, just people who like good content about the region. And I think most of us love our state enough to want to see her as good as she can be. I think we care about Louisiana. Otherwise, many folks who can afford to would have gotten the hell out of here by now. That's right. This past year, the Bessie elections, okay? More people learned that Bessie was a thing this year than maybe ever before because of the elections. What is your ideal Louisiana education system based and, and not just you as a stakeholder a parent somebody who's here doing the job but as someone who represents business what is the ideal education system for louisiana okay so we all get stuck in our own talking points to your to your point right now we all yeah. get in our own rhetoric and sure. so i'm gonna try to separate from that a little okay. bit okay so just me as a guy okay what i would say is the philosophy in k-12 system i would say is that we've got to empower parents and let them drive success and drive the best solution for their family. And so the way it used to be. Let me give you some examples. That doesn't necessarily mean that we, we, we take away any state oversight, accountability sure. standards. I'm not saying that. Sure. But what I'm saying is, in some areas, a strong and robust choice system is a good option. In New Orleans, for instance, you've got a lot of parochial schools, Catholic schools yep. that have a need that deliver a high level, but you've got poor families there that can't afford it. Right. A voucher program works very well there, and it can supplement a strong charter program. Some of the charter schools are doing great there because they can use TFA to attract strong teachers to go to that area. Right. That's hard to do in some of our rural areas of the state. It's hard to attract the type of teachers you need there to, to make charters work. And so every region is going to have its own strength and weaknesses as mm -hmm. far as whether they should be charter heavy, traditional public heavy, voucher heavy. So we have to have a versatility in the system. And I think empowering parents, making our dollars more mobile and agile in that. Right now we spend a lot of dollars, about $3.5 billion a year in an MFP formula that largely goes to buildings, not necessarily parental choice. Did y'all hear that? Three and a half 
billion dollars. Just want to make certain you caught what he said. Go ahead. Three and a half billion. And it's, it's a big chunk of, of what we do. You know, right now, you know, we fund about about four and a half billion every year for local subsidies, local mm-hmm. investment. Most mm-hmm. of that's the MFP. Mm-hmm. And so this this debate we've had over the last 10 years, do those dollars belong to the system or do they belong to educating students? Is a public education a public building or is it a public student that may get that delivery through a computer through a building, through a private school, but the public helps fund it. Starts with the children. Right, right. Starts with the children. And it is frustrating to me that many of these debates, and I I had this conversation with some friends a few months ago that many of the articles written about public education, if you just kind of went through the article, scour the article, you rarely found the word children or student or child. It's about bureaucrats or some law, and we forget the in the entire existence of the system is to educate the children. Well, even the coverage of the Bessie races. It, yeah. You know, even that, you know, the, the next day yeah. the articles were, well, Common Core won. Yeah. Let me ask you, Common Core is like, you know, 2% of what we should be talking That's about right. right now. I mean, the standards are important and, you know, we're, we're moving to a different standard. Next year we're not going to have Common Core. We're going to have something else and that system's going to produce, that review panel's going to produce something. Mm-hmm. And then we'll debate that ad nauseum whether that's the right standard or not. Sure. Okay, let's put that aside for a second. Choice, letter grades, accountability, vouchers, mm-hmm. STOs, course choice, those are major, major policies that over the last decade we've started to adopt here in Louisiana. Yeah. The continuation of those, quite frankly, are more important than the standards. Let's talk about the, the debate over charter schools and public schools, okay? And I say that, I say that that way for this purpose, that people sometimes are oblivious to the fact that charter schools are public schools because public dollars fund them. Correct. So I'll just ask generically your feeling about the debate that is growing across the country right now, but specifically here in Louisiana, the fight to keep charter schools from happening. Well, you know, in Louisiana here, we have a system where, and, and quite frankly, it's been a bipartisan approach over the yeah. years. It quite frankly started under Kathleen Blanco. That's and, right. And she should be commended yeah. for setting up the RSD and some of the, the, the groundwork that has laid the foundation for this. You can also look at Mary Landrieu in the mm-hmm. Senate over the years. She's been a fighter on choice and charters and all that up there. So, look, I, I, obviously I'm a Republican. Yeah. But it, it, I think it's fair to say this has been a bipartisan approach on yeah. education reform over the years. Um, but if, if, you, if you look at choice and charters. Right now, the debate in Louisiana is is who should be allowed to approve a charter and stop a charter. Mm-hmm. You're seeing this play out at Bessie right now. And the way the state is, locals have the first bite. Yeah. And if they turn it down solely for what's deemed to be a reason that is um, parochial, quite, quite frankly, um, then it can appeal up to Bessie. And Bessie can take a look at it and say, if that charter's coming in to provide a new alternative, something new to that area, we're going to approve it. And that's happened over the years. Some charters come in, deliver a great product. Mm-hmm. Some charters come in, they don't. And when How do you, they do, what do you do with, back. Yeah, and what do you do about that now? Because They lose their charter at some point. I know you do, but, but let's talk about the period of time, because I agree with you. I know of people who, we, we have someone now who is a recent electee to the Bessie board who works with a charter school who is a dynamic lady, Sandy Holloway, dynamic, worked in the public school system, the traditional public school system for a number of years. She's accountable. But we do know where money is on the table, it has the potential to draw people who have less than reputable intentions. How do we quickly find them 
and weed them out or better yet, how do we keep them from getting access to the money to start a school? Well, I'm going to I'm going to answer with a question first. Okay. Pretend charters didn't exist. Okay. How are we finding those people in the traditional public school system? Ah. Right now, we fund K-12 education every single year. We've been doing it for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. And we've never tried to weed out those players in the traditional public system. It's just been in the last 10 years where we've incorporated a new form of delivery where there's been this demand, well, wait a minute, we got to catch these folks on day one. we got to put them out there. Look, I'm all for accountability, so the same, and we so the, that, That's pretty good, Wags. So we're not applying the same no. thing to the systems that exist right now. That's a very good we point. Can you pull a traditional public charter? No, you can't. That school stays open pretty much as long as it stays open. Yeah. On a charter, on a new charter, you pull it. If at some point they're not meeting the right thresholds, you pull it. The traditional public <laughs> school, you don't pull that. You just drive by it year after year after year and say, wouldn't it be nice if that was a better, a better school? Wags from downtown there. So, so okay, we talked about, we, we started talking about the Bessie races this year. What are your thoughts about the races and the way that it was covered, the way that it was talked about? And then I'm going to get into a couple of the races specifically, but overall, your, your yeah, you opinion. Know, you know, Bessie's kind of, it's kind of a wonky, yeah. you know, board. And but so it's most, very, it's most, a very important it, board. Completely. But most people don't really understand it or know much about it. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, quite frankly. I but, think it's bad. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true. But, you know, if, if it gets overly politicized, then, you know, you never sure. know what comes out of it. But over the years, until about, not this cycle, but the cycle before, mm-hmm. so five years ago, um, over the years before that, you know, your traditional stakeholders would get involved in Bessie races, the, the teacher unions, sure. the superintendent association, the school board association. They get very involved with it. Five years ago, the business community and other stakeholders said, you know what, we're going to get involved in these races. And what happened was it ended up bringing about a new Bessie board who had some non-traditional, uh, non-educator voices on there. Yeah. And they started to view it more as a parent and as a taxpayer. And so you've seen some of that policy shift there. And so this time, you've had that same dynamic play out. And again, voters are taking a new look at Bessie and saying, you know what, I want to look at Bessie as a parent and a taxpayer and and challenge the system a little bit and make sure we're we're spending those dollars appropriately and doing everything we can. So I think it's good. I think it's healthy for people to focus on Bessie and for not just those who are in the system, benefiting from the system, you know, trying to decide who sits in those seats. You know, a lot of outside money got involved. Mm Uh, it, you know, Walton, Bloomberg, uh, organizations that want to be involved in public education's uh, education systems, specifically as it relates to uh, inner city kids, poor kids. They want them to have a way out of those realities through a good education. That was attacked and criticized by a lot of people here. What's your thought on that? You know, there's a there's a lot of money in politics today, Clay, and I, I, I mean, <laughs> millions and millions yeah, of dollars, hundreds right. of millions of dollars. And you know, it it, it should be used to educate yeah. voters. In a lot of ways, it just ends up confusing. I mean, if you can't open your your mailbox anymore these days without just getting flooded with things. You can't right. go to your Facebook page. And so, look, I think there's some good and bad with all of that information that's coming out there. And the Bessie races are, are, are no different. You can make the same for the statewide races where you had you know some of these you know trial order packs and all coming out with yeah. information out there. So money is in politics today, whether we like it. You think it's wrong that outside money got involved in the Bessie race? Well, no, because I mean, how do you how do you stop the the, the where do you draw the line on? Right. Where do you tell someone you can't advocate for a position in a race, whether it's outside money or whatever the heck inside money? I is? personally don't have a problem with it. People can do what they want to do with their own money, mm-hmm. uh, and you know when you see Bill and Melinda Gates spending money on programs that help get kids out of bad situations, 
the Walmart Corporation or the, or the Walden Kids or Bloomberg. It's happening. Specifically here, though, there are people who are saying they, quote unquote, are trying to take over our school system. What is your response to that? Well, obviously, I don't agree with that, that tactic because, again, if you go back to before five years ago, the entities or the outside money, if you will, that would invest in Bessie races were, you know, teacher unions sure. at the national and state level. And sure. those are ones that directly benefit from a lot of decisions that are made at Bessie. Right. And so, you know, I, I think anyone, you know, you can't look at that system and say that was a pure system because mm-hmm. the folks investing in the races are the ones that are benefiting from, from those that won. A lot of the outside money that comes in these races those are folks that go around the state and they just they believe in some of these principles. They right. believe in choice. They pr- believe yeah. in, in educational reform. They're not here in the state actually trying to benefit from that. They just believe in it across the country. And so, you know, whether that's a good investment on their own parts, you know, debatable, but they're not coming down here and therefore trying to contract or trying to get anything out of it. They just believe in the principle and they think that a, a healthy choice environment is good around the country. And so that's why they invest in multiple states. What's your, what, what is your opinion of the unions, the teacher unions and, and their their function, the the purpose of, of what they're doing and the process, all of that. I think the biggest challenge is I think there are a lot of teachers that are in the system today. Maybe they're younger teachers just coming out of school, so mm-hmm. maybe new ideas, new thoughts. And they're getting into a profession, and they're probably pretty frustrated because they're, 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 huh. they're quickly seeing, like, you know what? I want to go and do something different. I want to elevate myself. But the profession tells you, you know, longevity is the way you maximize your investment. Right. And, and that's not the way the world works today. I mean, today's day and age, you don't go sit in a chair for 30 years, get your no. gold watch, and, and that's how you get rewarded. No, sir. You, 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 you define yourself with excellence, and you, you use that com- competition to move around. Teachers aren't allowed to do that. They're, they're, they're herded into a union to sure. where they're, they're, they're forced to stay put, and the longer you're there, the more you benefit. I think the fact that the state collects union dues out of paychecks and delivers <laughs> it to a union, I don't think that's right. I don't think it's right either. And I think the, the overwhelming majority of people in classrooms are good people Absolutely. who care about children. You have a lot of teachers busting their tail every day. Yeah. I think they're frustrated with the regulations Hell they yeah. face, the mandates right. they face. Yeah. They, 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 they're frustrated with the fact that they want to discipline a kid. And when they do, they're worried that the parent's going to call the principal and the principal's not going to back them up. Right. I think those that are the That crap happens all the time, too. All the too. time. Yeah. And when I, I mean, when I was a kid, that didn't happen. No. I guarantee you, if, if you know, <laughs> my parents no. weren't going to take my side. No. But, I mean, that happens a lot today. Yeah. And so teachers get frustrated and they think that the union is the only way they can be protected of that. You know, I represent a lot of members that want a strong, choice-driven accountability system, and they want teachers empowered to do excellent things. Mm-hmm. I think they're a great partner there, but unfortunately, I think the union convinces a lot of, of teachers that their only way to be protected is the traditional, old-school union approach. And I don't think that's what today's younger, more innovative teachers actually no. need to, 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 to see excellence in the field. And we're losing, we're losing younger people with degrees in education to other states where they can make more money, there's less red tape, Less frustration, and we we are losing them. They're not staying here. Uh, well, yeah, let's, just one point on that. So okay. you know, several years ago, you know, a lot of this debate came up. Well, yeah, charter schools you don't have certain rules and regulations. It's not fair. It's not fair. And so we we went and we passed a bill called the Red Tape Reduction Act. Mm. And basically, it says, all right, if there's a certain regulation or a red tape that is driving you down that the charters don't have, we're going to make it very easy for you to go and get that you know repealed out. We want to make it very easy. It's never been used. And the unions went to the table and opposed it along the way. So I don't think it's about actually parity. I don't think it's trying to get some of the same autonomies that charters sure. are given. They're trying to throw autonomies on top of charters and bring them down to their level. I think we've got too many regulations and mandates on traditional Absolutely. public schools. We need, to, we need to go in the opposite direction Absolutely. and give them the autonomy they're, they're desperate for. But, you know, those kinds of things keep people 
employed, in my opinion. Let's change gears here just a little bit. The governor's race is over now. And it was interesting as the one named Democrat, and there were multiple candidates, but the Democratic candidate in that race was John Bell Edwards running against three prominent Republicans, one of them a U.S. senator. Now John Bell Edwards is the next governor of Louisiana. He will be the only statewide elected Democrat in Louisiana. Your thoughts or reactions to the governor's race? Well, you know, you know, because we have an open primary system here in Louisiana, you had a situation where you had three Republicans in the race and one yeah. Democrat. And the three Republicans went after each other pretty hard, yep. you know, and kind of spent a lot of their money and time and messaging doing that. They ignored and, the and Democrat. For, yeah, yeah, they did. And for about eight months or so, whatever, they were telling all the voters how each of them were a bum. Right. right. And so right. And, and, you know, uh, you know, Governor elect Edwards. Had, had a pretty good situation where he just had to sit there and say, you know what, I'm a nice guy. I went to West Point and, I, and right. I want to work with people. That's, I mean, right. that's a pretty good way to run yeah. for any office. You yeah, know? That's right. and, so, and, look, he, and he wisely took advantage of that window. I mean, there's a, there's a tactical you know, uh, genius that was there. That's right. He didn't get down to their level. He kind of stayed out of it, which is smart on his part. But what happened was, I think when people voted at the end of the day, um, it's not that they all of a sudden became more left-leaning in the state. I think they decided, you know what, we're going to go with the nice guy instead of the they other guys want, who beat each other up. They, and so and they didn't want Senator Vitter. No, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. I think they. What decided, do you think about that, though? I mean, I, I, I think most people, and and you know, I'm just going to say it how I think it. I think most people get what he did and what went on, but I don't know that most people went into the box saying, "I'm not going to vote for him." Because he may or may not have screwed a prostitute. Okay. I, I don't know that that was the case for most people. And because, quite frankly, I don't think people are going to, this is Louisiana. I don't know that people are going to throw stones specifically for that reason based on the politicians we've had. I, I think it was a personality thing. You know, look, I'm not Dr. Phil, and so I'm going to, I'll give you yeah. my analysis, okay. but, you know, take it for what it's worth, right? Um, look at the Les Miles situation. Oh, so, boy. you know, he goes out, he lays, okay. a, he lays an egg, yeah. you know, versus Alabama. He lays an egg versus Ole Miss. Yeah. He lays a bad leg versus Ole Arkansas. Things are looking bad. Things are looking bad. But at some point, he became sympathetic. Yeah. And in the last couple of days, the people came home. Yeah. I think it, it, it's an interesting case study for, for, you know, for Senator Vitter where he never hit that point. He never got to never the, became okay, sympathetic. You've been punished enough. We're yeah, gonna, we're going to come back and forgive you now. And you can argue that he never did the apology they were looking for. Yeah. He never looked people in the eye and said, "Listen, I sought forgiveness from my but family." But did he really owe it. us that? I don't. I, I don't think he owed us that. I, look, I, I don't. I, I think he, first of all, I think you have to really own up to what you did. And he never really did that. He I called it a serious discretion. Yeah, I don't, I don't but he doesn't have to apologize to me. But I, I don't think it matters. I think in today's day and age in politics and 24-7 coverage, it doesn't matter whether he owed it or not. Right. I, I think well, I people's, you're like, right. if you're running for office for a living, it's what people's expectations are. And I think, you know, he, he said, look, I, I apologize to my fam for family. They forgave me. You know, I prayed about it. And, that's, and I think people appreciate that. I think what they were looking for was, and I let you all down, and I apologize yeah, for it. And yeah. I think that's part of why they didn't get it. I think you could also argue that, you know, look, we've had a last eight years of governorship, which has been pretty tough. There hasn't yeah. been a lot of touchy-feely there. Yeah. Um, and I think um, I think maybe they're saying, you know what? We didn't like the apology. We're yeah. looking for a change of pace. And it was kind of a perfect storm that hit. And again, you look over at John Bell, and he's like, I'm sitting over here. I went to West Point. That's I'm a right. Nice guy. <laughs> I went to West Point. I'm a nice guy. Listen, that's an interesting thing. I, I will just say, I never felt Vitter owed me, this is me talking for me, an apology. What happened, happened. And I think you take your comeuppance for it, and he, he earned them 
But I just think it's a slippery slope in politics where we where we are expecting perfection for the people running for office. I don't think there's perfection on the planet. I agree. I think everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does some dumb stuff. But, you know, whether now that kind of dumb stuff is not something that that I've been a part of. But people make mistakes. And I think people are willing to forgive someone if they seem sincere. You brought up the governor's race. You have a tie you've worked with. You worked with Bobby Jindal. I knew Bobby early on, supported Bobby, thought Bobby was going to be the game changer. And then after eight years, I'm looking back at that and I'm going, massive disappointment. Massive disappointment. Smart guy. Don't feel like we got the best ROI on that deal. I know that's tough for you. You worked with him. You know him. Um, you, you And I don't want to put you in any awkward position, but I got to ask you, what do you think about the last eight years? Do you think we achieved all that we could have with him as governor? Yeah, look, you know, obviously he's a, uh, he's a good friend. And yeah. You know, it's, a, it's, an, it's an awkward sure. spot, but I think it's a, it's a relevant, you know, question. Um, I, I can tell you, you know, I, I worked there in the first term. And I remember what it was like on election night in 07. Sure. I remember the the state had just come out of the days of Katrina. They were yep. desperate for substance, leadership, Fresh new someone blood. to take control, yes. someone to stand strong. And it was the right time, the right message, the right feeling. And the state, mm-hmm. like, believed. They, they, they didn't just vote for a guy. They, 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 they voted for a new direction. The and potential. So, absolutely. And, and I can tell you, I was there that first term and it was 25 hour days, eight days a week and worked our tail off. And I am proud of that first mm-hmm. term. If you look at a lot of those decisions that came out of there on, on education, you know, tried to do something on pension, tried to do something on, um, you know, reforming our budget and all that. There's a lot of good intentions there on the ethics code and all right. that. And I think there are a lot of wins out of there, quite frankly. I think you look back at some of the charity changes and say over years, that's going to be a game changer. But um, I would tell you that when you get to the second term, um, look, I think it's natural that over the years, if you look at our governors, there's been some distraction that sets in there. You know, Mike Foster went to law school. Um, Edwin went to Vegas before he went to jail. Um, and you know, un- un- unfortunately, you know, how long have you? How long have you? How many times have you used that one? That's well, actually, actually it's the first. I don't, it might be the last. I don't know. Let's we'll see. But you know, and I think there's some distraction that set yeah. in. And you know, um, it, you know, I, I'm disappointed that happened. Yeah. But you know, I, I know the man's heart, and I, I know he, he he cares a lot more about uh, this state than a lot of people give him credit for. And unfortunately that he showed them, you know, he hasn't showed them enough. Hasn't shown it. I will tell you him wanting to run for president never bothered me. Actually never did. He's a U.S. citizen. He's above the age of 35. Never bothered me that he wanted to run for the White House. I know people want to be president. That never bothered me. Other people are running. What bothered me was I felt like some of the major issues that would have required boots on the ground time from him were being either delegated or he was dealing with them from long distance. Just my perspective. I could be a hundred percent wrong. And I feel like that's the problem. When the FEMA money stopped running in and we are a poverty state with a high number of people who depend on government for their well-being, and there's a lot of systemic changes that need to be made. I don't think we spent time addressing those. And here we are now beginning a term with a new governor, and these problems still exist. And that, to me, is a problem. That's why I'm frustrated. Yeah, and, and look, the, the standard was set high. I mean, if you look at, like, Hurricane Bobby, you know, Gustav Eich and all that time. Yeah, man, and, 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 he's on know, it then. You know, voters see that those moments, and they're like, man, that's what we that's what we wanted in 07. And so, you know, the threshold gets high. I mean, look, quite frankly, when you run on raising the bar, you know, raising the bar becomes the norm. And so yeah. that, that is, that is a, a feature there. And, you know, to me, 
the budget is what is, a, you know, sure. rightly or wrongly defining the entire eight-year piece. And sure. if you look at it, you know, we had a spike. And when those temporary recovery dollars went away, to your point, yeah. when, the, when the Steli impact started yep. to hit, when the yep. national re- recession started to hit, when the dollar started to come down, instead of doing some of the other things to right-size government, we kind of hit the tread water for about five years, and we found ways to do it. Um, you know, I would have liked to have seen some budget reform pieces yeah. going in there. I mean, I think, you know, we've got all these dedicated funds. We, we yeah. lock up all these dollars. I think there would have been a great, you know, willingness by people to go in there and unlock some of those dollars and spend some existing dollars better. But, you know, that wasn't that wasn't tackled. But, um, you know, look, I, I, I think if I look back on, on that first term, and I know, I know how it went down, I think there's a lot of good there and a lot of things that people are going to look back in Louisiana and say, that was, that was a very good moment. But, the, but the, there the, were four years that followed it no, that won't right. look, live up you. to that. No, I hear you, man. And, and the second term, and, and again, I go back to history, you know, in this state, it's not uncommon for second terms to be a little bit of, a, of, of fatigue set in and distraction set in. I give in. you and that. I, I think people were expected to be different this time, and I think maybe it, it followed true to course as previous administrations, unfortunately. I think in an, in an instance of irony, I don't think people hold against him the last six to seven months because it's clear he's running for president, and most, of, most people get what that requires in terms of being gone. And you didn't hear as much criticism with him officially being gone. For me, and I know Timmy, <laughs> and Timmy is everything from the boogeyman to the character in the Jeepers Creepers movie, <laughs> but he's really not a bad guy. But boy, people just have all these opinions about Timmy. I think that saying it was on his radar would have helped him because I don't know that people, how could you, if someone says, you know what? I aspire to one day be president of the United States. How many kids in elementary and middle school classes put that in a report? Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with that. I just think here in Louisiana, the, as, you, as you said, the bar was set so high. People had expectations. Which, which is a good thing. I mean, I think we need to set the bar high. I mean, I think for too long, we set the bar too low. Yeah. And so, look, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I mean, you know, he went in, he set the bar high, which I think is a good thing for the state. I think now yeah. there's a higher expectation sure. of that office. So I think over the long run, that's a good thing. But, um, you know, in the, in the last couple of years, I think that that higher expectation that's set, you know, ended up being a tripwire to a certain extent. Um, and, and, you know, look, a lot of tough decisions were made over those years. Sure. Um, and, you know, you, you develop some opponents when that happens. Let me ask you this. And I referenced it talking about, uh, you know, Timmy. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I know, like I said, I know him. And what do you think about the vilification of people in politics on both sides of the aisle sure. now to the degree that it happens? It isn't just disagreeing with policy, which is fine. But the second and third degree level of personal character attacks I think, that we're seeing now. I think it's a really big problem, to be honest with you. I mean, and look, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm in one of those situations where I represent an organization, we have a clear agenda, we have strong opinions, sure, and we're paid to articulate those and, t- and to try to be persuasive in the public eye. And so we have to do that every day. We have to argue and articulate and all that stuff. I try very hard, sometimes win, sometimes lose on this, to, to, to keep it on the policy and substance level because I do think this personalization is not good. I think over the years, in yeah. the last 10 years or so, uh, the campaign approach has been so negative. It's just attack, attack, attack. People run for office right now not saying what they're going to do but how the other guy's a bum. Yeah. And I think voters have decided you're all bums. We don't yeah. trust any of you. That's yeah. why we don't turn out to vote. That's why we're apathetic. And that's why we're always voting for someone different because we never like the guy who's there. And so, and I think part of that is the rhetoric we use now. I mean, and so I think we have to find a way to argue and articulate different visions 
without trying to tear down the other folks. And look, yeah. I mean, quite frankly, I talk about, you know, John Bell Edwards. You know, I have a concern with some of his record as a legislature. Our mm-hmm. members do. He had a very poor voting record with us. Yeah. Um, but look, the guy was elected. He needs the benefit of the right. doubt to try to come out, put his agenda. He said he's going to run in the middle. He said he's going to you know, try to find ways and be an all-inclusive administration. We owe said. him that right to, to see if that happened. Am I skeptical? Yeah, I think I am. But the guy deserves the right to prove whether he's going to follow through on that commitment or not. And I think sometimes we don't give people the chance. Um, it's one thing. And the other piece is in, in today's day and age, especially on the conservative side, and this is a concern I have sure. as a conservative, we try to show our conservative nature by tearing down our allies. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm a real conservative because I'm more conservative than, than, uh, than that other Republican. And I think we, you know, the friendly fire is killing our movement. And so no I think question. we've got to find a way to talk a while about why conservatism can be aspirational. And I, I wrote about this in a column recently where, you know, Reagan used to talk about conservative policies by defining a city on a hill. Mm-hmm. He would say, let's aspire to be that. And this is why we're doing this to get to there. Conservatives don't do that anymore. Conservatives run because they're they're against that guy or against that policy or hate that person or hate that thing. We got to stop being the the movement of hate, man. We got to talk about what we're aspiring to. Why, I agree. Why conservative policies elevate the individual, elevate people to control their own destiny? We don't talk about that at all anymore. Listen, the 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 dream and the benefit of being in this country is the opportunity to become whatever you want to become. And in politics now, take the presidential. A race right now where there there's 42 candidates running on under the GOP side, you know, and you've got Donald Trump who has been in the public eye 40 years and he's got no governor on what he will or won't say, but he's the front runner. I think building a system of government that allows people to thrive on their own government's not in the way. The public education system gives children in poor situations an opportunity to earn their ways out of ghetto, uh, earn their way out of ghettos. Or a government that says, if you start a small business tomorrow, we are not going to be in your way. We want you to succeed. For a single mother of three or four or five kids, however that situation may have played out, uh, you know, and it is what it is, if she says, I want to go and get a job, We have to fix it to where the government says, "Okay, cold turkey, you're done because you disincentivize people. And and I get where people say, well, yeah, you need to work for a living. I get it. I do. But but you need to be realistic about what's happening across the fruited plain, don't you? Well, I mean, a couple examples. First of all, like like vouchers, for instance. Look, I'm a Catholic guy that went to a Catholic school growing up. You know why I support vouchers has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a Catholic guy that went to Catholic school growing up. I don't care about that. But have you ever talked to a voucher mom? Have you ever talked to a mom who is a single mom and she was stuck in a, in a tough school or her kid was getting bullied every single time yeah. or she was you know, scared to death about it, but a voucher came in and allowed her to put it in place and she will literally fall to tears I've talking seen to them. you about yes, it. Yes, sir. If that doesn't change you, then I don't know what does. I mean, that's why I support things like vouchers. You, you, know, you mentioned like welfare programs, welfare reform. You know why welfare reform makes sense? Because if we can get people off the couch and into a training program Absolutely. and get them a job that's good for the state, it's good for the community, it's, it's good, good, for, it's good them. for their self-awareness, Absolutely. they're going to take care of their bodies better, Absolutely. it's going to help healthcare. There's a ripple effect there. But we don't talk about welfare reform nope. like that. We talk about deadbeats. We're afraid. We've got to be aspirational in how we talk about the same policies that are good. Because I think the people that a lot of times we demean are the ones that benefit the most from some of these reforms. And you block the discussion with the language used. 
People tune you out on that first sentence. The, now, the people that love you, they continue to love you. Absolutely. With that. I get it. And if we're gonna if we're gonna turn politics into only talking to the people that wake up every day believing in you, mm-hmm. well, what are we doing? Wasting our time. We should be talking about why reforms are good for the people that. Don't wake up thinking you're right. we got right. to convince, persuade. We've got to talk to them and try to bring people to your side. Instead, we try to narrow our side sure. and just talk to them all day. Well, shoot, I can talk in the mirror and convince myself all day long how handsome I am, but that's, <laughs> not, that's, not, that's not helping me any, okay? If we can grab the least of those among us, right? If you can grab the kids in poor situations and make them or give them the opportunity to fall in love with education because... It inspires them. It gives them confidence. They can see their way out. That's what this is all about. That's why tax dollars are taken from from us to fund public education, to give kids a way out, not to create a system that keeps them, you know, on the government teat for 40 years. It doesn't help anybody. And we're better than that. That's right. And I feel bad for kids because there 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 is intellect in some of these poor areas and there's talent that we never tap into because we don't require anything we don't demand excellence some kids can meet that challenge if you just challenge them and we don't do it and it's largely in my opinion or one of the large reasons because of the adults who are benefiting from a piss poor system and that's a shame and look look it's hard it's hard to educate Certain kids who come to school without that background, it's hard to educate kids that have a, a learning disability. Sure. I get it. It's hard. But to then take the next step that some have taken and said, therefore, those kids can't learn, that's where it gets a little disgusting, to be honest And with that you. happens all the time. And if people really listen and read between the lines, they hear that often from folks. That's what they're saying. It's wrong of you to require X of these children because they can't learn. Yeah, and I don't believe that. I think that's sad. I think that's it. I don't believe that. When you think about Louisiana going into 2016, okay? I mean, we're we're just moving along. Seems like the like the, the old saying goes, the older you get, the faster the, the calendar turns over. When you think about Louisiana, are you hopeful? Absolutely. Why are you hopeful? Well, first of all, why not be hopeful? I mean, if you got two alternatives, why not? That's the okay. first thing. But the second thing is is that if you look at kind of what we have, you know, we do have we're a tremendous energy resource, mm-hmm. and so we have that. We obviously have waterways and ports that are, you know, very impactful. As the global economy becomes the norm, we're very, very well suited for that. I mean, so there was a time not that long ago where it was city versus city, Baton Rouge versus New Orleans. Sure. If you flunked out of school, you had yeah. to go work at the plant down the street that your grandpa worked at, yeah. and it didn't matter if you could read or write as long as you could pull the lever, right? Right. That's not the case anymore. you got to have skills. you got to be able to, to – even to work in a plant today, you got to sure. have skills. And so as the economy elevates and becomes more global, I think a state like Louisiana has a lot of resources, a lot of rivers, a lot of ports. We're very well suited for that. And so I think we do have that. Um, I do think you have a public that is becoming more aware of the need for responsible government and responsible yeah. solutions, whereas at the time maybe we kind of looked the other way and chuckled uh, on that. So I do think we've elevated our expectations, which is a good thing. And so absolutely I'm bullish. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen, if, if you look back to those 70s, great time in Louisiana. From 78 to 83, our unemployment rate doubled. Mm-hmm. It became very difficult here. The 80s were a tough time in Louisiana. That's a lot right. of people left. I was a kid living here. We left. We had to go to Missouri. My dad lost his job here. Mm-hmm. Had to go to Missouri. Tough time. And over the next 20 years, we looked at Houston, Atlanta, other areas, skylines, boom. They did all that. We looked at them. We said, well, we're Louisiana. We can't do it. We're just a boomer bust state. Oh, well, we'll just be what we want. And I think over the last 10 years, we're no longer in that mindset. 
We are no longer, you know, you know, resigned to our to the fact that we're nothing more than boom and bust. So mm-hmm. We have higher expectations. Absolutely, right now. we do. And so, if you look at our, our resources, you look at our expectations. Absolutely, I'm bullish on Louisiana. For and and we'll end with this. For people who are thinking, and I just had a young lady in my office today. Someone brought to me to talk with her. She's thinking about, you know, getting into business, starting a business, and you know, my mother used to tell me when I was a kid, nothing beats a failure but a try, mm-hmm. and. That is something I think we do need to do a better job of across the state is preparing people for business and then making it accessible. It's not easy. Can't say make it easy because you got to work. But for someone who's thinking, I want to bank on me. I want to get I, I, I've got a dream, whether it's a good one or an awful one. And I'm thinking about putting a business, putting some money in, get, starting a business here. What advice would you give them? That's a good question. Yeah, it is. I know. That's a good question. I've been doing this 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess, let me, let me go back a little bit okay. to before you get to that point. Okay. Um, the first thing I would say is go get a skill on something that you want to do. Right now, and when I was a kid, when I was going to college, I decided I want to go to LSU because I want to go to LSU. Yeah. And when I got there, I went to talk to the guidance counselor and said, what should I do when I grow up? I think we need to shift that and talk to high school kids and say, no, no, no. What do you want to do? Here are the jobs available. Here are the wages. Because sometimes you need to go get that four-year degree. Sometimes, yeah. no, no, no. The two years is just fine. Sure. Sometimes you can go to the ABC welding facility and get a great job there. So touch- <laughs> Make a pretty good amount of money. <laughs> Absolutely. So touching kids in high school early yeah. on, explain yeah. that to them and getting them on the right path. Because yeah. a lot of times once you get out of school, it's a little too late. Quite yeah. Frankly. Now, once you're out, if you're already out there and you want to kind of make your mark, I don't know if I have a good, better answer besides the old-fashioned one, which is don't be scared to take a risk. Now, it's easier said than done. Sure. Um, but don't be scared to take a risk. But that's life. Follow, follow that dream. I mean, if you look at some of the, you know, in Louisiana, we don't have a lot of these huge corporate, you know, Goliaths here. If you look at a lot of the companies that have been successful, um, they started out like that. Go yeah. look at some of the big Louisiana-based companies that sure. are now the names we all Absolutely. know. And you ask them, how did it start? They'll tell you about their kitchen table. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you about their first loan <laughs> they took right, out. Right. They'll tell about their spouse thinking they're crazy when they did right. it, and their friends saying that'll never work. Right. And so it's, it's kind of funny to think of now, but most of the big success stories that people think, oh, that's the entitled you know, entity, they started out at a kitchen table with a dream, and it very easily could have failed. And so you're never going to hit it big if you don't give it a shot. What keeps you going? This is going to sound corny, but it's, uh, it's true that um, – I really have a big, big belief in this state. You know, I grew up here, and that that moment when we moved as a kid because of a down economy, you know, my dad was a very, very good principled man. Mm-hmm. And when he lost his job, it was a very tough time for him. And so when, when we left, you know, he kind of went with his head hanging down. And we didn't want to leave. It was a sad time um, for us to go. Um, that moment changed me forever. And so mm-hmm. when I moved back in 07 to be part of something that I thought was pretty special, and worked very hard for four and a half years to get that done, I'm still driven by that. And I think Louisiana's potential, and this is where it sounds corny, it sounds fake, because politicians say it all the time, but it really is. I think Louisiana's potential is unbelievable. And I think Louisiana people are so ready to be inspired. They're so ready to be moved. Yeah. And so I like being a part of that. Man. I actually agree with you on that. What, what scares you about what's ahead? Well, we have a lot of uncertainty going on right now. You for know, instance? Uh, well, you know, with, with the new administration coming in, um, there's going to be a lot of new appointments, a lot of a lot of change there. I'm very worried about some of the education reforms we've put in place that are on the verge of making systemic change. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about those being under attack. And, you know, I, I, I want to see the new Edwards administration and how they're going to approach things mm-hmm. like charters and vouchers and choice. I'm worried about that. 
Um, I'm worried that we are prioritizing the need to stabilize government budgets sure. before trying to make sure that private family and private business budgets are taken care of. We're going into a very difficult economic time this year. The oil and gas industry is hurting. The support industries are hurting. There's a lot of people laying off. There's a lot of contracts that are about to go no kaput. Question. And no one's talking about that. It's just how do we stabilize government budgets. So I'm worried that we're going to prioritize government spending over local family and local business spending. I am worried about that. And so I think it's going to be very important for us, lobby, to kind of remind folks that, look, education reform is not some wonky policy debate. It, right. Im it impacts real people, Every, children. That's right. You know, you know, tax policy, it's not just wonky right. discussion. It impacts real you know, jobs that are available. Mm -hmm. And we've got to find ways to articulate that that doesn't look like we're just trying to you know, defend some special interest. We're trying to sure. talk about the Louisiana economy here because I believe that. What you do with lobby, representing business, all kinds of industry across the state, and, and, and the work that you do to make certain that government is accountable, not just to the employers, but to the people that they employ. The climate among people in the state is very, very important. It's important that we are, that we can get along. Here you are, white guy, I'm a black guy, we're friends, we get along, we're fine. I personally am concerned about the way we're even discussing the subject of race in America right now. It is concerning because of some of the trouble that it is breeding across the country. Here in Louisiana, knock on wood, we've not seen some of what we've seen in other places. But I'm not naive enough to think it could never happen here. What's your thought on that? Well, you know, here's my thought. You know, I talk about that move to St. Louis as a kid. I'm going to use yeah. it as an example. Because in Louisiana, like several of the southern states, um, you know, our, the white people and black people, we live pretty much in the same environment and, yeah. and the same state. And we're kind of, you know, yeah. so whatever challenges we face, we deal with them every day. Sure. And, you know, when I moved up to the Midwest, you know, one thing that I noticed is that's not how a lot of those cities live. When I went to school there, I went to a very good public school. It was great. I enjoyed it. I have no complaints. I loved living in St. Louis, Missouri. But there was a busing system there, and whatever the percentage was, you know, 12.6% or mm -hmm. whatever of minority kids would get bussed in every single day. They would get on the bus at probably like 4 o'clock in the morning in downtown East St. <laughs> Louis, sad. and they would bus in. And those are the guys that we were friends with and played yeah, sports yeah, teams right. and all that stuff. And a lot of times after practice, we say, look, you stay at my house tonight, you stay at my house mm -hmm. tonight. But those guys would get back on the bus later on. They'd get home at 10 o'clock at night. They'd try to do whatever homework they could before they were back on the bus at 4 o'clock. And at the same time, a lot of those areas – you know, we're sitting there judging the South on how they dealt with race. Right. And I'm like, do you notice when you go to the store, when you go to the local market, y'all aren't dealing with this at all. Y'all have segregated this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying we're perfect. We've got our challenges in the sure, South, obviously. Sure. And we've got to try to find a way to discuss those civilly because it is a very important I'm issue. I'm working on something for next year, and I'm going to call you about no, it. No, please do. It's tough. Yeah. But, I mean, there are a lot of areas around the country sure. that point the finger at us and, you know, kind of give us the naysay. Yeah. And if you really go to those areas, oh, sure. watch how they live. Watch how they interact with each other. And they have, they have put up imaginary walls. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the one thing if the South can be proud of anything is we try our best to deal with it face to face. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we win and sometimes we lose right. on how well we do it. But we're face to face down here. Well, you know, one thing that you can't accuse people in the South of being is without backbone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we do it kind of differently. Like, uh, you know, we do it differently down here. So Just check out the bumper stickers on the interstate <laughs> if you don't believe it. Right. <laughs> so listen, how can people learn more about lobby? Well, look, the easiest way, go to www.lobby.org. That's L-A-B-I. Thank you. That's much better put. L-A-B-I.org. Yeah. Go check us out and uh, look, let us know if we can help you. 
Listen, I got to get you back on here. Do you, let me. This is totally not politics, but I got to ask you this question because it's what people are talking about. What do you think about the way the Les Miles thing went? <laughs> Man, Man you give me all the topics here. Um, let me just tell you this. Um, I love Les the guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I love Les the coach sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm your typical fan. I'm, sure, I probably sure. have expectations that aren't realistic, and I think our offense needs to find a way to get into the 21st century. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love the 11-year record. I do. I love the 11. 11 and 32, man. I love the 11-year record. Yeah. I do. But I also, you know, I look at trends. I mean, we look I mean, at yeah, it in policy. Right. And if you look at the last four years, you know, Arkansas, Alabama, Ole Miss no have come question. in. And the record's not strong there. And that's our annual competition every year. So, you know, I, that guy has got such a good heart. If you look at the, uh, the, the Sid Ortis article that came yeah, out this year and the yeah. way he handled that kid, sure. he's obviously got a heart of gold. Absolutely. And so he, he is a great ambassador. When people say that, they're right. I just – I wish he could find a way to get out of that offensive box he seemed to put that program in. I agree with you a million percent that the offense looks bad. Brandon Harris looked like he just started playing football 30 minutes before the game last Saturday. And I'm sorry, if you look at programs in the country, they don't all have senior quarterbacks. I, I get you. That's not today's day and age. I'm you with have you. to be able to train a quarterback in the first year they're there. Here was my problem, the way it was handled. I think if it was handled the way Georgia dealt with Mark Richt, if, if, if nothing happens and then on Monday morning you wake up and find out that Les Miles is not going to be retained as the coach and there's going to be a buyout, there may be a day or so of angst and then it's done. This went on for two and a half weeks, Wags. I hear you. And I think that's what drew the attention of so many people that there was a whisper campaign. And I got to say, I don't think Joe Oliva looked all that sincere on Saturday night saying, hey, he's our coach. He's been our coach. He's going to be our coach. It's like, well, were you on Mars the last two weeks or so when it was the rumor was out there? Well, let me give you the plug now. <laughs> LSU needs PR assistance. ClayYoung.com. Hey, listen, I'll help him out, man, because I'm a capitalist. But I will just say, I think that the way that it was handled was the problem. But if anybody is honest, you're right. There is a trend going on here. We've not, you know, beaten Alabama since before that national championship game, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think we have. No, I mean, we had two heartbreaking, you know, losses in Tiger Stadium. Yeah. We've got the whooping put on us twice in Alabama Stadium since then. And, and look, I, w- I want to go back to this. I mean, less the guy, less the ambassador, I don't think there's any doubt. He's a good man. Man, it's good stuff, you yeah. know. But I, I don't think it's – I don't think we can just overlook the trend lines. And the question is, you know, when you buy that great car you love yeah. and you get a good 11 years out of it mm-hmm. and it's awesome and you've you, – I mean, you've really maximized nothing but good memories. <laughs> That's right. And all of a sudden – the wheels start to come off, and you know the the engine starts to rattle a little got bit. An up, and you you got to get you gotta, an upgrade. You got to ask yourself: Do I invest in this, and do I not? That's the question LSU is right Would now. Would you have kept him? Uh, I think last year. Let me say it this way: I think last year. I would have sat down and asked for some serious changes on offense mm-hmm. and made that expectation clear. Um, if that expectation wasn't clear, it better be made clear now. And so, well, it's going to be next year is going to be a game to game deal because I think it's pretty clear that if next year is not good, there won't be any fanfare carrying off the you know field and all of that. It'll be pretty much over. And if I'm not mistaken, the season next year starts in Lambeau with Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, man. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. That's, man. that's good theater right there. 
Good theater. All the, listen. All you need now is Brett Favre to let, come out. And, let's uh, do a live podcast in the parking lot of of Lambo next year. Done. Let's do it there. Done. What are you talking about? Kick let's off do the it. Season special. Let's do right it. There. I, I can have a bratwurst with an uh, Andy Gator. <laughs> That's right, exactly. You might have to import the Andy Gator. We can buy the bratwurst. We there. might be able to do that. Stephen Wagasback, the president of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, a great guy, and I heard. I think you heard a lot of good stuff from him today. Thanks, Wags. Absolutely, man. Thanks. And by the way, that web address is clayyoungcompanies.com. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to host your own podcast? Coming soon, Clay Young Enterprises and Podcast 225 will be giving you your big chance. You'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment to create a podcast that you can be proud of. You'll have an engineer and a professional show open and close. The Clay Young Show is already considered one of the best podcasts in the state. Get the same audio quality and professional packaging for your very own podcast. Stay tuned for more details. Your chance to have your own show is coming soon. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Pretty good conversation with Stephen Wagasback. Wags, president of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, a lot to discuss there with him, and uh, I enjoyed the conversation. We actually had a chance to talk a little bit uh, after the interview and before I sat down to do the close of this show. Listen, I'd like to hear from you guys about topics or items of discussion you'd like me to get into in the coming year. You can follow me on Facebook or on Twitter. That's at Clay Young BR, or you can email me directly at the podcast 225 website. Hit that subscribe button if you're an Apple user or get to the show directly through the site. It tells us what our numbers look like in terms of downloads. Last week's show with Jay Darden was very well received. Uh, Thanks to most of you who listen. Uh, The Business Report in Baton Rouge, the uh, New Orleans Times-Picayune and NOLA.com. I don't think we were referenced in a Baton Rouge advocate story that ran, but that's okay. We got him on and we hope to scoop the media and get the news a whole lot more in the coming year. Get ready for 2016, y'all. Get ready for it. It's on the way. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to The Clay Young Show if it's just before the weekend. And if not, wherever you are and whatever you are doing, we appreciate you listening to the show. And we'll catch you next week on The Clay Young Show on iTunes. On the Talk 107.3 mobile app and on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.